Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Another week is upon us as we say greetings one and all. Tom and Keith with you. That means we are one week closer to the start of football season. It also means we're one week closer to really the rock bottom doldrums of summer, which is the month of July. Closing in on 10 weeks out, I think I read somewhere. Did you have to read that or could you pull out the calendar or just I, do the I math see, in I don't, your head? I don't pull out the calendar. I don't do that. That's that's not my way of doing it. I'd rather have somebody else do the computations. The point is the clock is ticking. We are getting closer. You can feel the uh, – it's noticeable in social media to me that the angst is starting to have an edge to it as people start talking about, oh, my team's better than your team in those debates. Well, what happens is you, yeah. know, you, you, hit, you hit May, you go into June, and you don't want to get too excited and – you read all the positive stories, and then you hit into July, and the, about July seventeenth, plus or minus, everyone's going to win the national championship. Right? I mean, they they allow themselves to just ease right on into that higher expectation. And if you did not pick my team to win the national you, championship, how dare you? Exactly. Phil Steele did pick Florida State to win the national championship, and he's going to join us next week uh, in this window here on the front row. Phil is. Pick the word encyclopedia, cornucopia of knowledge, fountain of knowledge. I, I remember he, he he was metrics before metrics was called metrics. I remember when I first started working with you and Paul Kennedy, and we were doing the primetime Knowles games. Paul, for those of you who don't know Paul Kennedy, he's a terrifically talented broadcaster. Uh, when he has downtime, you'll hear from him pretty regularly. So over the summer, there is no such thing downtime. as downtime. <laughs> During with fall, Paul. during fall and spring, when we were working with him, he would call FSU games on Saturdays. He was doing every Magic game, every Lightning game. There was no downtime from September one until June, but then June, July, and August would happen, and Paul would have a lot of time on your hand, his hands. So you'd get a random email from him about every ten minutes with an article pertaining to FSU. Ran- random email. But I'll say this: he also would send me a nice envelope with a magazine in it every year, and it was Phil Steele's. Uh, preview of the upcoming season, and that's how I first became aware of Phil Steele and the knowledge that he has. So I look forward to that conversation next week. I'm fortunate enough to be a member of the Football Writers Association, and part of that membership is I get a complimentary copy of the uh, Phil Steele magazine, which uh, I'm told was released. Is it truly complimentary, or do you pay dues and then write those dues off and you get a magazine in there? And do we have to talk to your accountant to see how much you can actually write off of those dues? There's statistics, and then there's figures. Okay, we've been over this. Anyway, Phil will join us next week. Uh, Tim Linnefelt will join us uh, this week as he does each and every week. And one of the interesting things that's up on Seminoles.com right now is sort of the moments of the year, uh, which is amazing all that happens in a year. If you go back and turn back the clock to when the athletic season started, which really is mid-August or so in terms of competition with volleyball and soccer, obviously football after that. Uh, pretty good year for Florida State. Maybe not quite as good as what it's been, but I do think this, I don't know if you uh, will agree, I, I think when you look at what, several FSU teams return for next year. I think next year has a chance to be one of the best years on record for Florida State Athletics. And I'm not just talking football, but soccer's always loaded, softball's loaded, beach. There there are several sports that I think truly can compete for a national title next year at FSU. 16-17 Directors Cup, the the, the final rankings uh, about this time a year from now. Uh, should be very, very interesting if you're a Florida State faithful. Anyway, we'll go over some of the moments of the year. We'll pick Tim's brain on that, and we'll, uh, I guess, weigh in if we can remember the full year on what maybe sticks out for, for us. What do you mean, remember the full year? That, exactly. Uh, Malik Beasley goes in the draft last week to the Denver Nuggets, uh, which uh, I guess I'll root for the Denver Nuggets now. I like Malik. He was only here a year. He was my son's favorite player. I wish him well. And, oh, by the way, you know, it, it kind of got taken for granted as we approached the draft that – Oh, he's going to go in the first round. But if you remember when he declared, everybody sort of scratched their head and said, said well, I thought Bacon was the guy. I mean, is Malik making a mistake? And he didn't even go in the 20s. I mean, he went 19th. His his uh, advisors and the information that he was able to compile with he and his family to make the decision that he made, uh, obviously hats off to them. They, they, they knew what they were talking about, and he got very, very good information. Uh, so I, I'm excited for him. He's a, he's a very, very uh, interesting, articulate kid. 
uh, the proverbial gym rat. He works his tail off, but his family is so eclectic. You know, there 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 there's some actors and 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 teachers in his family, and it's not just about athletics. Uh, so I think if he achieves a measure of success on the court, there's some things off of the court that he's going to be able to access and, and make himself available to that we we just didn't get a good chance to see in one year at Florida State. Anyway, congratulations. Very much so. I don't disagree. And uh, Florida State's going to be making some noise in, in coming years in the draft, too, with Jonathan Isaac and, and Dwayne Bacon, for sure. There is basketball news to talk about. And uh, uh, I do before we get further into that, I do want to mention that uh, we're going to have Wilson Bell from the football team join us next segment. And uh, the the focus of the interview will not be related to the offensive line and you know florida state's hopes for this year though we will ask him some questions about who's starting that. at right tackle it, it will pertain instead to his role uh with the acc and as a liaison and representative for fsu uh he, on campus he's on the student athlete advisory committee but he's uh, on the autonomy five committee as one of 15 student athletes nationally and specifically what they're looking into is time demands on athletes, which Keith and I have talked about, and I won't set that up for you right now. We'll do that when we get him on, but that that's coming up on the show. The other basketball news, though, uh, Benji Bell transfers. That frees up a scholarship for Leonard Hamilton. I'm a li- I was a little bit surprised when I saw it, but then when you dig a little deeper and consider what Florida State returns, and there's only 40 minutes times five players to go around in a college basketball game, maybe it makes sense. A couple of things about Benji. Number one, remember he was a junior college transfer, so he came to Florida State with only two years of eligibility. He played that first year last year. So as the press release said, he was a rising senior. So from a program perspective, uh, that's a scholarship that has one year of a lifespan. Is it worth, you know, what he was going to bring to the table? And I think what he said is, here's what I bring to the table, recognizing everything else that came to the table. And I don't know for sure, but my personal opinion is this boiled down to playing time, period, the end. Uh, I think Benji liked it here. I think the coaches liked him. He got along well with the other uh, players. But I think he looked and said, I've got one year left to play, and and I can't – if I stay at Florida State, I'm going to average eight to ten minutes, score three points a ball game. Can I go somewhere else and get better playing time and bigger, better numbers? And I think that's what it boiled down to. You know, we see it in college football. The quarterbacks transfer all the time if they're not the guy. In college basketball, it's pretty much any of the five positions. If you're not ticketed to get significant minutes, you just move on. That's what happens in basketball. One more big basketball topic involves officiating and sort of a consortium of a couple of conferences. We'll get to that as we close out the first segment. I do want to remind you that uh, this portion of the program is brought your way by Madison Social. They have a uh, social drinker appreciation night tomorrow night. Uh, you wear your shirts. You can take part in a summer beer tasting for free. That's at 7 o'clock. If you don't have one of those social drinker shirts, KJ, you can uh, roll on over to Madso on uh, the 4th of July. They've decided to uh, open at 11, serve brunch until 4 p.m. because beer and brunch are a good thing as we celebrate red, white, or and Or brunch and beer, however you want to look at it. Exactly. Now, <laughs> if but, I don't have a shirt, can I show it? Which one of the uh, Cavaliers... Went through the parade, the uh, the uh, World Championship parade without the shirt on. Was it Jr.? Yes. Can can I show up with no shirt? If you show up with no shirt, we will make sure that social media treats that accordingly, and there will be perhaps be a bigger turnout than was there for the Tallahassee takeover last week when the Jags were on. I sincerely doubt that, but thank you. All right. Uh, well, I didn't say it would be for a good reason. Oh. I didn't say that they would come seeking autographs. They might come taking pictures and posting them to their social media accounts. You mean they'll, they'll point at my belly like like Katie Grace, my granddaughter, goes and, Poppy, is, is there a baby in there? <laughs> All right, we digress as per usual. Okay, back to this, uh, this topic. So the ACC and the Big East and two other conferences are – I don't know if they're officially – are they pooling their officials? or are we, It's called the, the Men's Basketball Officiating Alliance. And it's the ACC, the Big East, the A-10, and the CAA, Colonial Athletic. And basically what they're doing is combining all of the officials together. And, and the several things that they're trying to get, first of all, is better scheduling in terms of where the guys are having to travel to and from. What they found is that particularly in February and on into early March, um, because these guys have been on the road so much, on airplanes and in hotel rooms, that they get worn down. It's just the, the human factor. We talk about that at the NBA about resting kids. We talk about that a little bit. Freshmen out of high, uh, seniors out of high school becoming freshmen 
uh, playing collegiate basketball. They're used to playing 20, 22, 24 games, and here they are playing 34, 36. Same thing happens to the officials. So one of the big takeaways, because I listened to the entire press conference, is they may have opportunities where a particular official lives in a town and particularly in the latter part of the season, and having to, instead of having to get on an airplane and travel somewhere and do a game and then get on an airplane and travel back, they may be able to drive and cut down on the amount of time that the officials are, quote-unquote, on the road while still maintaining the number of games that they call. That and training, they'll, they will all use the uh, ACC Command Center, uh, which is used for football and now for basketball in terms of reviews. Everything will be due together. Uh, Brian Kersey, who is the uh, official's um, liaison for the ACC, will be working directly with John Kyle, who is from the Big East. So the two of them together will split some duties. And, and, and they're trying to achieve efficiency and consistency well, and I think in it, calls. And I think it will help with that, no question. And points of emphasis will be emphasized the same because that's one of the things that drives me crazy from conference to conference is you, you see things – uh, handled differently will there still be ACC officials or are these officials all now going to be a pool that in theory are ACC Big East CAA officials and I ask that because one of the things that drives me crazy in, in college athletics is the perception that uh, in a non-conference game well that was a you know that was an ACC call compared to an SEC call and so I like the idea this is a start to me of maybe nationalizing refs where you could get away I mean you don't look at an NFL game and say well that was an NFC referee or an AFC referee you might not like the call but you don't think there's a bias inherent to it I think it will help towards that I think it'll be a period of time before we as uh, fans or any of us that are closely tied uh, to any of the basketball programs really believe that but I think this is a good first step and, and the bigger thing that they're train, uh, doing is, is training, getting everybody together, singing off the same page, doing it the same way, which is back to the consistency. Well, and I say we expand it to football, and you could start with the ACC and SEC because the geography works there. Now. But you don't need it because it's only one game a, a week. Well, you don't need it for the, the wear down and travel reasons. You could use it for the, all the, the education, the training, the consistency, the elimination of bias. Don't contradict me, Mr. Block. I, I'm trying. I need to point out that uh, if you would like to hear more of these contradictions, you can head to ESPNTallahassee.com and uh, under the audio vault, there's a drop-down menu and uh, simply click on the front row if you're not tuning in live each week or subscribe, better idea, uh, or just as good an idea anyway, to our podcast uh, of the show via iTunes because the front row is available on demand because you have demanded it. We will uh, get, Wow, there you go. We will uh, continue with this week's uh, edition of the show momentarily, and we'll focus, uh, speaking of demands, on time demands for student-athletes right after this. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back to the front row. Tom and Keith with you, and we're really pleased to bring Wilson Bell to the program today. Wilson obviously is been a fixture on the offensive line started every game at right guard last year for uh, coach fisher and the Knowles. he's entering his redshirt junior season and while we will ask him a couple of questions uh related to on the field really the the premise and the purpose to bring wilson on today is to talk about some off-field uh things that are being explored at the ncaa level or the autonomy five level in terms of time demands on student athletes so with that said wilson first of all welcome thanks so much for joining us yeah thank thank you for having me let's i i'll try to give maybe a thumbnail uh, synopsis here and, and you can correct me where I'm wrong on this but uh, first of all it, it's my understanding you're one of three uh, representative student athletes from the ACC and one of 15 out of the power five conferences that's sort of serving on this uh, I'm calling it an autonomy five committee and I don't know if that's the proper name but, well, that's but fine. Ha- autonomy ha- committee that's fine yeah how did you get involved with this well, I initially went on a couple of trips um, at, at different ACC conventions and um, I got nominated in and the guys down at the ACC thought it'd be I'll be a good representative to represent the ACC along with two other two other fellow uh, athletes. So it's been a really good ride so far. Well, and really, what you're representing is is student athletes across the country and 
specifically at Florida State since you have interaction with them. But, I mean, you're, you and, and the others from the ACC and across the country are voices for, stu- for the student-athletes. Is that correct? Yes, sir. This is, um, this is actually like a new thing now. This, we're like in the first year of doing it. And um, they've finally given us a chance to like speak out and not like as far as let the coaches make generally all the decisions, giving the student athletes a chance to voice their opinions. And we're being the liaisons between the student athletes to get the voice out there to like the commissioners and the different representatives in the different conferences. Well, and you're more than just a liaison because it's my understanding, and I've never been to an NCAA convention, but it's every January. And so this past January, there was lots of talk about satellite camps. I'm sure that'll continue. But one of the mm-hmm. things that came up was was time demands. And uh, I'll ask you a question directly about that. But next year at the convention, when an issue comes before this autonomy committee for a vote, there's 65 Power 5 schools, and then there's 15 student athletes like yourself, and each entity has one vote. So in effect, your vote is equal to the University of Alabama or Florida State or any other uh, institutions. I mean, that's, that's why we call you sir, that, Wilson. That's why we call you sir. I mean, I mean, but, but but no, but that's a powerful voice, not just for you, but for student athletes to have fifteen of those votes in, in that forum. Oh yeah, and trust me, we we do understand that we have that power. That's why we all get together um, at every convention, every meeting that we have, and we sit down and we make sure we're making the, the best decision for our, our fellow student athletes. And and knowing that we have that power, we, we attempt to make sure it's like the best possible for the coaches and the, the students at the different universities to make sure that it fits in well. We're talking with Wilson Bell from Florida State. Okay, the big issue, and there was a huge survey done that I think hey, there's like 50,000 respondents from across Division One college athletics. That includes student-athletes and also administrators and coaches. But uh, it, it deals with time demands on student-athletes. And for the layman or the fan, they – they may not be as aware, certainly, as everything that, that goes into a student-athlete's day, but mm. basically there's a 20-hour-per-week rule in terms of how much you can be on the practice field and studying film and that sort of, sort of thing. And then there's a lot of things that don't count towards that 20 hours, which, and I may be incorrect on some of these, but I would assume includes media interviews like this one, uh, time in the training room, study hall, which may be mandatory until you achieve a certain – all those sorts of things. And – there's only 24 hours in a day, despite all those demands. So, what what are some of the things that you guys are talking about as as the key issues that, from a student athlete's perspective, uh, are important? Well, necessarily, um, like the things you mentioned, as far as like the time in the training room and um, and uh, like off the field, like off the field requirements, as far as like the mandatory and in, the involuntary man, involuntary mandatory things that they tell us that we have to do that they they put out that is voluntary. We talk about how. Like the different times the coaches try to attempt to do tell you certain things that is voluntary and come back and make like it's hard to explain. Like I can't really explain it. No, well I no, I understand what you're saying. It's it's implied that uh maybe in, you need involuntold, I think was the yeah. phrase. Yeah, that there you go. The exactly. involuntold. Uh, yeah. and and well so by way of background, I played in the late seventies. We didn't we didn't have these types of rules and Tom gets uh, annoyed at me, rolls his eyes in the back of the head when I talk about, you know, we would go down to the to the training facility about one o'clock, and we we would leave about ten o'clock. Uh, that that was your typical nine hour day, Monday through Thursday, and then uh, mm-hmm. we'd get on an airplane Friday morning, or we'd get on the bus Friday night and go to Thomasville play the ball game, and yeah. so you know, twenty hours at face value doesn't seem like a lot of time. But yet it is a lot of time, and then with all the additional things that get uh, tied in, plus the fact that you got to go to class, you got to study, and and hopefully you have some form of a social life. You're not just a robot. This yeah. is a really big topic, and and really needs to be addressed uh, in today's modern athlete for today's modern athlete. Because because as of now, as of now, the the maximum free time, honestly, in my in my casual day, my normal day, is probably two hours, two to three hours out of that day that I have to, like, implement with as far as, like, me going home and sleep and everything. So we're trying to make sure that everything is accounted for and um, that is out there what needs to be counted and what shouldn't be counted so that the coaches can understand that we do need that, that free time amongst, like, between games and the travel days and everything. We're trying to make sure that it's known the time that they're using and uh, how we can incorporate everything into those 20 those twenty care hours and how we could, could possibly increase those hours or decrease them according to how everything plays out in the end. And the other part of it is, the other part of it is, is once you formalize this, this keeps 
from the players having to argue with the coaches and the coaches trying to convince the players. Uh, I mean, because everything is subject to interpretation. There's a lot of gray area. And the more that you can get standardized, the less opportunity for conflict where a coach would frown upon a Wilson Bell because he didn't show up for an involuntold workout at 6 o'clock on a Saturday morning in February. Uh, you can yeah. you you get away from that judging uh, folks um, by how much time they spend. There's a certain amount of time to spend, and that's what's required of you. Yeah, and, and, that, and that's the thing we're trying to put out there. Even though we know, even though it's it's common knowledge that even though it, it will be written down legislation of what is and what is not right as far as the due time demand schedule is going to be, we still know it's like behind the scenes, some coaches are still going to be attempting to do so. But as long as we got it written down, that's the first step towards progress. That's, that's what we're really focusing on now. Yeah, some of the big – we're continuing this conversation with Wilson Bell from the FSU football team. Some of the, the questions that are out there and that Wilson and the other student-athletes and the, and the autonomy committee are looking at are – you know, related to travel, does does travel, should it count against the 20-hour uh, rule? How much time after you return from competition do you get before you could be back at a workout or practice? Is it seven hours? Is it eight hours? Is it more? Um, it's, it's my understanding another one has to do with sort of the fluctuating, and, and bear in mind, folks, as we have this conversation, this isn't related specifically to FSU football. Wilson really has his, his finger on the pulse of, of Florida State athletics as a whole, but he, we're talking about universities across the country but coaches uh, you know practice schedules change and so you get pretty short notice maybe that practice just moved from three o'clock to one o'clock uh, or or three o'clock to six o'clock and and you had something else planned that may, may have been personal may have been an academic thing so uh, the, getting a handle on those kind of things is really that what you're talking about yeah and that's that's the big thing we um that we've been um talking about now because you like that text you get on a Sunday night, on a Sunday night, telling you that you have a meeting the next day. After you, on that Sunday, you plan out your whole week, and now that meeting has just interfered with everything you have planned. Now you have to reschedule everything. We, we're trying to make sure that it's like finalized and it's official that you know what you have prior to prior to that Sunday. You you should know at least two weeks or a month in advance of the different schedules that they plan on implementing for for that month or like for that year. So. That's what we're really fighting for in um, this um, autonomy committee. Who else? Who are the other two student athletes from the ACC that are on the committee? Um, Brandon Fiala, who just um, he, he's doing the Olympic trials right now, and um, Madison Branson. And what Madison's from Duke? What the first gentleman's from? Where? Um, he's from um, I want to say North Carolina. Okay. Okay. So cross representation of schools and different sports and whatnot as they, as they get your input. What else would you like to add about this? Uh, because we could talk at great length and we don't have that form to do that. What else would you like to add about this opportunity for you or really what you're hoping to accomplish through this experience? Oh, it's, um, I feel like this is a good opportunity because it, it helps me. It helps me and my fellow students be able to get a voice out of not as far as go be under a dictatorship of uh, the coaches and the, the I want to say the powerful representatives over every school. To like make all the decisions for us, and I guess through their eyes see what is best. It gives us the opportunity to finally have a voice and show that we have concerns too. And just because you feel like this is the best thing for us all, that you should honestly listen to what we have to have to say and and help incorporate some of our ideas and what we feel could better the uh, athletic programs and the school as a whole. So I feel like this gives us the opportunity to have that voice. All right, Wilson, let's get back to uh, or move to what uh, a lot of our listeners are interested in. What are we doing? What, what offensive linemen doing over the summer to get ready for the 2016 season? We hear about oh, the seven-on-seven. We, seven. we hear about the quarterbacks running around, the receivers running around. What are the big boys doing? Oh, well, offensive line, we, um, this is something we've, we've been doing, I want to say, since I got here. Since I got here. We meet every morning at 6 a.m., and we uh, go over our steps, and we go over like certain plays. That uh, not just for our own benefit, but to benefit the freshmen that are coming in to make sure they have an opportunity to get ahead of the game before August comes, fall camp comes. So that's something we do. And, um, of course, when we do have our um, mandatory runs with the D-line, it's always competition with those guys too. So, like, we're working. We're, we're really trying to, like, improve what um, – the structure we had last year and try to win a national championship. Oh, the D-line's all big, fat, and ugly. I'm with the offensive line. I'm going to go with them. <laughs> He wouldn't say that if we had Demarcus on the show next week. No, I would not. Oh. He'd, he'd change his tune. Hey, let me ask you this. You know, uh, if you look at Florida State, and I'm not a recruit, Nick, per se, but uh, the last few years Florida State hasn't had as many 
offensive lineman on scholarship. But now with what Jimbo and Coach Trickett have brought in, I think you have 17 or 18 guys on scholarship mm-hmm. at that position. What does that change? How significant is that for you uh, and that segment group? Oh, that's tremendous because um, going into fall camp and going in, in, like, as far as injuries go, not having as many bodies, like, to help to help stay out there and um, stay out there and go through the plays and not being able to replace certain guys that get injured, it hinders the offensive line where you have to move certain players that are not comfortable at certain positions to play that position. It kind of, like, hinders hinders that line for that game or for that week or for that practice. So being able to have certain guys to implement in any any area of the offensive line is tremendous. And those bodies that could learn and could replace certain guys that need to be replaced and everything, I feel like it's a tremendous opportunity for us this year, and they did a really good job recruiting. Wilson, you have the opportunity and the rest of your teammates uh, to block for one of the premier running backs in the country going into 2016. What, what What's it like knowing that uh, any time Cook touches the football, uh, he can go the distance. What what does that do when you're you, you get down that three point stance and think about it? All right, this is a running play, and we're on our 18 yard line. But but about 17 seconds from now, he could be crossing the other the other goal line. Oh man, it's it's an amazing feeling. It, it like it makes you want to do your job, especially on run plays. It like you 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 know this guy. He's a breakout guy, breakout runner. You know he keeps us calm in the game. The guy is very humble, and he, he lets us know like if you just give me that hole. I'll find it for you and I'll score that touchdown. So it makes you want to do your job that much more. It makes you want to go harder at practice because you know you got a guy back there that's going to touch the rock and score just by the time he touches it. So, you know, it makes you really want to do your job. And that's that's how the whole old line feels. Everybody, including the freshmen that are coming in, they're talking about that as well. So, you know, that he's a truly um, special guy. Wilson, who, you know, you've, you've been a fixture and, and Big Rod, obviously, uh, on the other side at the tackle spot. Who's caught your eye? I'm thinking, you know, Rick Leonard moved over. There's new new names in the mix that we're not as familiar with. Who's caught your eye, or who should we be paying attention to? Do you think as we get into the fall? As of now, I, I would say Rick Leonard. The guy, he's a he's a hard worker. The guy busts his butt every time. Um, Coach Trigger tells him to do something. He does it to the, his his full potential. And the guy, he's he's an amazing. Guy has great character. He's uh, if in my eyes, he should have always been playing O line. In my eyes, the guy, he's just a natural fit into the offensive line. And um, I can't wait to see what he does does in his upcoming season. Well, we're looking forward to that too. I, you know, I looked at the uh, spring game roster, and I think you were listed at three eighteen. So we'll let you get going on this. But what's your target weight as you come into the season? I mean, you try and come in heavier because you're going to lose some pounds. I mean, just where where are you trying to be as as August and then September rolls around? Right now, um, my goal is three fifteen as of now. I'm like three eighteen. That's a good weight, but I'm I feel a lot more comfortable at three fifteen. So that's what I'm aiming for now. Well, and I'm going to correct Tom. I'm going to have the last question. Uh, I think our listeners need to understand a couple of other things about Wilson Bell, and I'll get you to comment on them. Um, By my uh, sources, you're on track to graduate in May of 2017, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. What is your major? What do you want to do? And and recognizing you'll still potentially, unless you come out early, potentially have another year to work on a master's or otherwise. Uh, My major is editing, media, and writing. And, um, I'm minor in communications, and hopefully I can go into sport broadcasting. And that's that's like my major goal. I, w- I really like. I really want to talk talk on, on on air with any type of sport, any type of sport. That's like my my passion. So hopefully I can achieve that after leaving college. All right. Well, two things to remember: any job that is currently held by Tom Block or Keith Jones <laughs> is is not you're not eligible for. Okay. <laughs> Here's point number two. Just observe what we do and do the opposite, and you'll have a great career. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Hey, Wilson, we appreciate it. Thank you uh, for, you know, it's, it's the, the irony of this is you're participating uh, via your role with the Autonomy Committee. On your time. On your time on a study <laughs> that involves time demands, and, and I imagine that's added a lot more to your plate uh, on top of everything else we just discussed. So we look Oh, for- yeah. A lot of stuff had to get uh, moving around for this uh, interview, so. <laughs> so Wait, we'll, plays right back into it. Yeah, we appreciate it. Very much, it. very we, much. Enjoy your summer. you got a few more weeks. I won't remind you how hot it'll be in August, but we look forward to seeing ah. you. Best of luck this year. All right, thank you so much. All righty, that is uh, Wilson Bell. Good stuff there. And uh, I think that was sound advice, Keith. Here's how Keith and I did it. <laughs> do it Go forth and do the opposite. <laughs> I, I love the comment when some of the stuff we pulled, uh, Coach Fisher talking about Wilson, tremendous human being. You hope you raise your kids just like him. He has the right values, 
principal core values of everything he does. And I think by listening to him and understanding what he's involved in, uh, you obviously would echo Coach Fisher's comments. And we didn't get a chance to ask him about this, but I looked up a little bit back when he was being recruited, and it was FSU and Auburn and Ole Miss was in his final How about three that? too. And How about by that? By the way, we open up against Ole Miss. If you're not aware, I'm pretty sure you got that date circled on the calendar. All right, we'll come back, talk some more Florida State athletics. We'll react to that conversation with Wilson. Tim Linnefelt from Seminoles.com will join us in a little bit. All that and much more. Hold your breath as we continue on the front row. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Welcome back. We'll get to Tim Winnefelt in our next segment. But, uh, Keith, let's just react to that Wilson Bell uh, interview. First of all, thanks again to him for his time. And, uh, obviously, he's pretty plugged in. And good for him for being one of the people that has a voice. That's a pretty powerful committee. And it's we're still sort of in the feeling out stage because this is new, this autonomy. You're just going into year number two, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's it's new, this whole era of figuring out. One thing that the autonomy committee uh, is, is charged with, or one thing it can't do, it can't uh, only de- deal with football only matters that has to happen across all 32 conferences if you will ncaa wide at the division one level uh which is uh, you know so they can't just focus on football but it it is interesting that he's given up so much of his time and, and, and being a voice for florida state student athletes well and and those time constraints and time demands are are unique to student athletes uh and uh and coaches uh, we we categorize them as being overzealous. They're always wanting to win. They're always trying to take the gray areas. That's just the nature of who they are and the ability to, if you will, protect the student athletes or at least have guidelines about time on the student athletes so they have an opportunity to be students uh, and college kids. Uh, very, very important. I think genuinely speaking, you know, Jimbo gets it. I know he, he has the, the will to win and wants to win, and, and I'm sure he'll take advantage to the degree he can in, in some ways. But you also hear him say that he acknowledges that the kids need an opportunity to be kids. And, you know, you, the mandatory day off, how quick you turn around from getting back from a ball game, how much the travel time counts, those are all part of the minutia of that. Well, and I think, you know, we t- we spent so much time talking about the satellite camps and Jim Harbaugh when he came down to, to – sarasota or bradenton or whatever first but that was michigan spring break so that was time away this the football players would have had that they didn't have which jimbo said he would never do now you know i'm not gonna hold him to that three five ten years from now but in terms of his decision now he would not take spring break away from his kids he wants them to get away go home go somewhere do something you know be students and be kids for a period of time well his his mantra since he's got here has been players first very much been about the development of the student athletes and that's one of the things and we've talked about it on this show. It sort of started with Nick Saban. I thought at LSU, but we got corrected that it really started when Saban was at Michigan, Michigan State. State yeah. Jimbo picked up on it from his connections there at LSU. I don't know where all this will go. I do think there will be some adjustments to some of the rules, but it's hard to get a consensus. For example, one of the things, and if you Google this, there's about a 200-page PowerPoint that goes over this entire survey and all the questions were asked. But some sports or some student athletes, when their competitive season ends, they want a two-week break right away or at least a two-week break before you get back to off-season training. Then there's other sports, and I think swimming would be one, track and field might be one, where your regular season at the NCAA level just is, uh, is one step along the way to now I'm at the U.S. Olympic trials, and so I need to keep training. I don't want time off immediately when my season ends because I need to be pushed and I need to train because I have Olympic aspirations. So some of those things are going to be harder to get consensus on as they move forward. Plus the training that you do as a golfer. You know, you can go out and play 36 holes of golf over a seven-hour period of time, and I would submit to you that that's not nearly as time-consuming and and as effort-driven as a 90-minute football practice. So the, there's just differences in how you exert yourself in order to get ready for the various sports that multiplied over time creates complications. Well, it'll you're going to hear more about it, and you'll hear a lot about it in January after the football season because it will come up at the NCAA convention again, and uh, you'll see more stories about Wilson Bell and his involvement here. But uh, really it's about trying to figure out how best for the student-athlete to carve up that 24-hour day. Because where, where, no matter Where's what the balance? Do, 
There's 24 hours a day. Where's the balance? All right. Tim Linnefelt is uh, on the Florida State beat all 24 hours each and every day. That's he never why he sleeps. is our Seminoles.com he never insider, sleeps. and he will join us when we continue on the front row. to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. We are joined now by our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. Of course, Seminoles.com is where you catch Jimbo's postgame pressers following every home game. You can catch his Monday press conference during the season, which is We're about two months away. We're getting closer here. We're getting closer as we count down. Right now, if you go to Seminoles.com, you can see an interesting uh, video montage of sort of the moments of the year. And uh, I I thought that was interesting work, Tim. I don't know if you wrote an article to accompany that, but uh, Keith and I have not kicked around. What were the top moments of Florida State's uh, sports year, if you will, from 15 and 16? Well, there are a lot of them. You know, um, college cup appearance for soccer, Sweet 16 appearance for women's basketball, uh, a Chick-fil-A group of six full appearance of the football team. I know uh, the, the actual result of that game wasn't uh, especially memorable, but, but you know, reaching that level, especially given what I think a lot of folks expected to be uh, uh, rebuilding years, the word, but that type of year, I think, was, was a pretty good accomplishment. Uh, college World Series for the softball team, Super Regional softball team. Uh, yeah, there's a, a lot of things going on uh, in the last couple of years, in the last, uh, last year. Yeah, in terms of specific moments, I'm trying to think what stands out. I mean, when you get down below sort of championships or Final Fours and all that, uh, we got rings for, for beating, beating Miami and Florida. Miami and Florida. Yeah, I, hear there, I hear there were some rings involved with that. I'm not sure if you've heard that story, Tim. Uh, um, what else What else stands out? And I'm, I'm trying to think individually. What else? Well, Stefan Britz obviously had quite the uh, ending to track season. We're just kind of spitballing here. I don't have a list. Well, uh, ACC championships. Uh, uh, on, on the track side of things, um, you know, pretty much every everybody, uh, um, you know, t- to some degree, almost across the board, uh, you said it's not, especially compared to you know the last couple of years when uh, you know you had a national championship in football, a national championship in soccer. Um, you know, it maybe doesn't stand out as much, but but when you look at like the, the level of consistency across the board, is actually uh, you know, really pretty high. Game one, super regional pitching performance yeah that would be on the short list that was pretty stellar for drew carlton of course yeah, also- it was it was something and it was it was weird being there because it's sort of like you know a lot of times when you see a, a performance like that you know you you don't realize maybe until you know a, a little ways into it or uh maybe even halfway or, or longer like what it is you're watching and then you know you sort of look up and say wait a second he's been fantastic and 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 also where did this come from um, so, uh, so yeah, it's definitely, definitely a, a really nice one to end the year on. Maybe a first rushing attempt by Dalvin Cook against Clemson. Yeah, that one went through my mind because uh, for a fleeting moment, Tiger fans thought, "Is this going to happen again?" Uh, unfortunately for us, it didn't. We're going to we're going to have to settle that this uh, October. Yeah, there's there. I mean, everybody would have their own list, but anyway, that's on Seminoles dot com right now. Uh, we mentioning baseball. Uh, uh, Dylan Busby is going to be out in Omaha this week for a uh, home run derby, which congrats for Dylan, but could they pick a worse stadium to have a home run derby <laughs> in than, than TD Ameritrade? I mean, have we not seen evidence that that's not where you want to hold a home run derby? Oh my gosh. It's uh yeah. Do they, do they put them on, yeah. do they use second base as home plate and pitch to them from center field? Derby. Yeah. Singles derby. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah. It's, you know, you, you talk about it a lot. I don't know. What they can do, I mean, I guess you move the fences in and they'll help for a home run derby, but I, I don't know how much that'll particularly help for making a, a more compelling product on the field back during the actual games uh, of the College World Series. Uh, it, it, it's kind of a, a bit of a mess there, it seems like. Yeah, and I don't know what the fix is, but there needs to be one. Uh, you know, obviously moving the fences in displaces their whole outfield fans. Maybe you move home plate out and create more foul territory. I, I don't know, but you got to do something to fix well, that. Well, and, and I know Arizona has a reputation. I think they were amongst the top five, maybe in sacrifice months and last uh, things. But you watched the game last night that uh, Coastal Carolina won. Uh, that first inning was obviously, despite Arizona wanting to bunt, was obviously impacted by that stadium. I mean, I think I think there's a macro um, decision that needs to be made about reconfiguring 
I, I just think it's not working I, well. I think they got enough of a sample size that they do need to look at right. that, and I, I'm sure they probably are. We can't solve that one here, so we won't go down that rabbit hole. But uh, anyway, I, I mentioned Dylan Busby. Tim, I, I, don't, I haven't looked year to year, but it feels like this year Florida State has more players playing in the Cape over the summer than maybe they've ever had. And I say that because that's a good thing because that's a competitive league. It's the top wood bat league. And, well, and it's an invitation. And, you, you don't and, say, I want to go and show up. And, and you look at it, and Florida State has Sands and Raleigh and Holton and Bird and Busby and Carlton and Andrew Carp and, and I guess maybe Taylor Walls could end up there. I mean, that's a pretty big number for Florida State to have playing in the Cape this summer. Yeah, it really is. I don't know the exact number, but you're right. I saw the list. I was like, wow, it's being uh, really, really high. And, yeah, it's, it's a great thing. You know, if they want, it's kind of cool that, uh, that that they face each other, you know, obviously from time to time uh, in those leagues. And, and that's pretty much the, like you said, the, the most well-respected of the of the summer leagues and, and that whole sort of summer baseball culture. So to have that many guys in it, I mean, it, it just kind of confirms what I think we suspected by the end of last season, which is that, you know, as, as frustrating as it was for, for the season to end in the same fashion as it did the year before, uh, there's a lot of, reasons to be excited i think reasons to be optimistic about what's coming back and you know it starts with uh with that long list of guys that you mentioned particularly uh you know guys like dylan busby and, and cal raleigh and then those those young players that'll, that'll be back well and then drew mendoza who may already be in school and, and i saw him the other day uh, well there you go i guess that answers yeah. the question and and <laughs> and this oh, jc flowers is that the name of the the late addition from jacksonville trinity christian yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I haven't seen a, a whole lot about him, but I know, you know they uh, they uh, they added some guys in there uh, late as well. Yeah, well, so good news there on the baseball front. On the basketball front, uh, and I've got a whole laundry laundry list here, so we're just moving from one okay. item to the next. Benji Bell, should we read anything into that deeper than just playing time was the issue? I think that was the big thing, and, I, and I'll admit that I was kind of surprised by it uh, at first, uh, particularly the timing of it struck me as, as kind of strange, but you never know. Maybe, you know, he had some eyes to dot and tease across or whatever. I had to figure out what he was going to do. But uh, but I actually was under the impression that, that, that Benji Bell would, would have a role to play uh, next year. Um, certainly had a, had Xavier Rattan Mays followed through with his decision to, to leave for the NBA draft, I think Benji would definitely have had a role to play. But even once Xavier announced he would return, uh, it seemed like, like Benji at least would have you know his own spot. But uh, but I guess that uh, you know between that and then some of the newcomers they have coming in, you, you take a look at the at the roster and the depth chart, and then decide maybe you want to go somewhere that, that you can be guaranteed to play a little bit more and be more than just a role player or be more than, than a bench guy, which is you know by the end of the season is probably what he would end up being. You may not have crossed paths uh, with the basketball folks yet, and matter of fact, they're probably at camps in Vegas or somewhere turning over rocks looking for prospects right now. I but- think Leonard just got through with his own camps here in, in the near term, I believe. Any any reaction or insight into this uh, announcement made by the ACC yesterday about how they're going to work together in terms of officiating with the Big East, the A10, and the CAA? Not really. Um, I mean, I guess it's a good thing. And any time you have people working together to that degree, you like to think that the byproduct of that would be more consistency, uh, knowing more what to expect from from your officiating across the board, and, and when you play in different places. So if that's what comes out of it. Um, you know, I'd say it's a good thing. Otherwise, uh, I'm not sure that that we'll see a whole lot of noticeable difference. Uh, you know, just watching the game. Tim, I read where uh, Florida State sold its allotment of uh, tickets for uh, or Orlando against Ole Miss, uh, thirty-one thousand plus sold out. Uh, I think that continues the momentum that we seem to be experiencing. That uh, while we don't want to play too many games away from Tallahassee, there is a a demand to travel a little bit and our fans are responding uh, accordingly and of course you've got uh, jacksonville uh, i guess uh alabama no that's in atlanta atlanta mm-hmm. uh, against alabama next year um that continues that momentum oh yeah absolutely it's uh the the, the neutral side games I, I think are definitely the the wave of the future and you know they're really cool i don't know if you guys went to uh dallas a couple years ago for the oklahoma state game but that was a lot of fun i'm sure this uh, this game in Orlando will be neat, and we're all looking forward, of course, to having Alabama and Atlanta. And there's been uh, a lot of smoke, if you will, around a potential game in Jacksonville. Nothing has developed yet, but I think it's probably a matter of time before something like that comes up. Uh, and it's just kind of the wave of the future, especially for you know high-profile college football teams. It's a good way to, to get together, play uh, on a national stage, and, and and not really take you know the risk. You know, teams are so uh, so hesitant to uh, to give up home games. 
And you know, the one downside of it, at least from from my perspective, is you know a home and home with Ole Miss would be a lot of fun, right? It'd be really neat to go to Oxford for a game, or a home and home with Alabama, where where the fans and and everybody got to go to Tuscaloosa. That'd be really neat. But that it just kind of seems like that sort of uh, is with with the 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 emergence, I guess, of these neutral site games. That that's that's going away more and more every year, and and that's fine because getting these matchups, which I think we were worried for a long time. Well, we're starting to go away. Getting more of these matchups is definitely a good thing, uh, even if it does come at the, the flight cost. And we don't have time to get into it in, in this segment, but uh, on down the road, I mean, the ACC considering going to nine conference games, uh, there's some ramifications of that, in my personal opinion, that may lend themselves to more home and home, but scheduling them out farther. Uh, well, there may be some of that that comes on board. Uh, it'll just be in the midterm, not the near term. Yeah, it, it's, I, again, I. They've talked about it so long, and there's been always it's always been met with resistance. I would be surprised, I think, if they went to nine games anytime soon. I'd say that they wouldn't in our lifetimes, but I think especially you know Florida State and Clemson uh, are really happy with the uh, the current the current system because it gives them the flexibility one to have the the number of home games that they want in a given year, and two gives them the opportunity to play you know a high, higher profile non conference game uh, if they want, or or a less high profile non conference game in advance of arrival or something like that. Uh, you, you would hate to see if if, uh, if there were nine conference games. You would hate to see something like a Florida State Ole Miss game uh, be something that would would fall by the wayside as a result of that. And you look at Clemson; they're playing uh, Auburn this year to start the season. And they've had you know big games against Georgia in the last couple of years too. So uh, I, I think you know Florida State and Clemson are obviously going to be the voices that carry a lot of weight in that discussion. And if they're happy with eight, I think it's probably safe to say it might stay that way for a while. Well, except that you know the reason it's being talked about right now is ESPN. It, it, it ain't being driven by what Florida State yeah, Clemson wants. ESPN wants more inventory, and I don't disagree with anything you just said. I, I suppose maybe a happy medium would be a way to create neutral site games that ESPN owns the rights to. Uh, so what would that have to be? A, it'd have to be a home game, I guess, for an ACC. I don't know how you would do that, but in other words, you can get a non-conference game Let's there. just say there'll be some continued tweaking going on, I, I would imagine, in the next three, two, three, five years. Just a just footnote on that, I think one of the uh, – reasons that these neutral site games uh, are in vogue a there's revenue associated it's not necessarily more revenue than you'd get at a home game against Ole Miss but the problem is profit it's more profit but when you play the return game the next year at Oxford you get nothing for that so you instead of making three million one year and nothing the next you can make three million one year three million the next year three million the next year and you can keep adding into the budget hey as long as we're in June and July Tim and it's sort of fantasy land for my team's going to be the greatest ever in the history of college football how about if FSU and Alabama next year open the season and open that stadium in Atlanta and then close the season in the same stadium in Atlanta? What do you think? Can we get some odds on that in Vegas? Oh, hey, as long as we're living in fantasy land, you know, why not take it a step further and say that they open next season in Atlanta as a rematch of this year's national championship game? Well, I like the way you're thinking. Just then play. that would be three in a row. Yeah. As long as we're daydreaming. <laughs> well, but is it how? Obviously, it's a daydream to an extent, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Of course not. You're talking about, you know, almost inarguably, there's certainly two of the three or four best college football programs over the last couple of years, and there's a case to be made that they're the two best when you look at the, the consistency and success they've had really since Jimbo Fisher took over uh, in, in 2010. Uh, so, yeah, why, why, why would you not think that they have an opportunity to, to meet at that type of level? They, they almost did it a couple of years ago. It took that this insane uh, field goal return by Auburn to beat Alabama. Otherwise, it would have been FSU-Alabama for the national title. Good point. Good so. point. All right, Tim, anything else uh, for the good of the order here? Uh, gosh, uh, not really, man. It's, 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 honestly, it's, it's kind of quiet. Uh, there was two semifinals over in Spain. Uh, we have a lot of Olympic trials going on. I don't know if you, if you saw the uh, the diver, Katrina Young, qualified for the uh, for the Olympic team. That's pretty cool. And uh, I know there's some women's basketball players. Uh, Leticia Romero and, and Leo Rodriguez are, are currently uh, in the I don't know if it's trials or tryouts or whatever exactly it is that the Spanish national team does, but they're both in the mix to be on the Olympic team uh, for their country as well. Tim, great stuff. Cool. Thanks, guys. All right. He's our Seminoles.com insider. You're Keith. I'm Tom. Back with more right after this. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control. You're listening to The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at thefrontrow at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. 
We are back on the front row as we finish up. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention, and obviously it's uh, it's sort of old news now, but uh, a couple of pretty big coaching names that uh, passed away this week. Buddy Ryan uh, from football and obviously Pat Summit, uh, who truly was at the summit uh, in terms of college coaches, certainly in women's athletics, and you'd put her up there overall. She, by my estimation, Pat Summit is the single most important uh, female influence on college athletics we've seen yet she is the mount rushmore we don't need to put any more up there so you've got a stat of the week stat of the week it was interesting because she she coached for 38 years at tennessee never had a losing season uh 16 conference championships 16 tournament championships uh eight national championships you know how many kids played for in 38 seasons this is what we don't really appreciate about athletics 161 young ladies played for her over 38 seasons. You would think it would be hundreds, if not thousands, over 38 seasons, but that's that's not the case. Of the 161, of those who completed their eligibility, they did not leave early, they did not transfer, 100% of them graduated with a degree from the University of Tennessee. That's an amazing, absolutely amazing statistic. And there's some ties back to Florida State that folks may have not appreciated. Uh, Pat went to UT Martin. That's where Leonard Hamilton graduated. In fact, they were playing at uh, just about the same time. I think Leonard might be four years older than her, but they, they were contemporaries. And Pat was obviously a player, played on the 76 U.S. Olympic team that won a silver medal. Eight years later, 1984, was the coach of the U.S. Olympic team that won the gold medal. And she's very, very close, longtime friend of a colleague of yours that you did a number of uh, volleyball games with over the years for Sun and uh, Cecile Renault. And there was a photograph uh, yeah. in the paper of her at the, uh, she and Pat at the 84 Olympics. Uh, if you do the math, uh, 30-something years ago. Uh, great, great lady, inspired a number of, uh, in the thousands of millions of kids that she inspired but I thought that stat was quite revealing, and we don't pay much attention to it. 161 well, ladies in 38 seasons. And to the point about graduation and the connection with Leonard Hamilton, it sort of goes under the radar a little bit, but that is something that he truly emphasized, and I don't know the numbers offhand. It may not be 100%. It's but in it's, the 90s. It's in the 90s for Leonard in terms of what his players have done, uh, not just at FSU, but I think historically. Yeah. Great, great, great lady. Uh, her legacy will live on. Great, 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 great lady. All righty. He is Keith. I am Tom. Don't forget, Phil Steele joins us next week right here on the front row.